0: Once again, it's a joy pleasure to be here. I'd like to turn your attention this morning to the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, just sort of by way of context or text of introduction. 1 Peter chapter 5, he says to us, beginning with verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, That He may exalt you in due time. Peter tells us how to humble ourselves under the Lord. He says in verse 7, Casting all your care upon Him. Why should I cast all my care upon Him? Peter says, For He careth for you. You know, in the last few weeks we've... uh, and focus somewhat on the subject that God cares. God not only cares, but He cares for you. It's one thing to say that God cares. It's another thing to say that God cares for me. It's one thing to say that there is a God, by the way. Even the pagans believe that there is some kind of God. They may not know who or what he is or who or what it is. Maybe it's karma. Maybe it's the force. Maybe it's the influence of the universe. They may not know who or what it is, but they think that there is some being out there somewhere. But if he does exist, he probably doesn't care about us. This is unique to the Christian doctrine that there's not only a God, but that God cares, and that God cares about you. It's also unique to the Christian doctrine that the God that is, through regeneration, dwells in you. He did not come from you, but He takes up residence in you, for it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've come to appreciate some of the preaching of a man named Leonard Ravenhill. He's dead and gone now. He was not primitive Baptist. You'll have to, if you listen to him, you'll have to do what preachers have done in the past. You'll have to eat the meat and throw away the bones. A lot of things he's off kilter on, but there's a lot of things that are somewhat beneficial. But one thing I did hear him say at one time is, is ministers in the past used to ask folk, are you saved? He says, well, I've stopped asking people that because everybody's saved. He says, I'm starting asking, does your God live in you? Do you live your life through the influence of God and His Word? I ask you today, do you live your life through the influence of God and His Word? For in this text it says, humble yourself uh, under the mighty hand of God by casting all your cares upon Him. How often am I guilty, how often are you guilty of going before the Lord if we decide to go before the Lord? And casting our cares upon the Lord. And then as we get up to leave, we pick our cares up and take them with us. Oftentimes in a dire and difficult situation, we may say to someone, well, have you prayed? Prayer is not a last ditch effort in a time of trouble. Prayer should be the first thing that you do in time of trouble. Prayer is not a crutch necessarily. Although there have been times in my life when I have been weak and wounded and glad I had a crutch. Prayer is the first thing that ought to be on the mind of God's people. When trouble comes. So today, we'd like to bring you a message entitled, God Cares, a story told in four acts. There are four situations laid out in God's scriptures that show us God cares first thing that we will look at will be found in the book of Jonah. The second and third that we will look at will be found in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel of Mark, wherein the disciples in the first instance are on a ship with Jesus. In the second instance, they are on a ship without Jesus. Now, I need to make a disclaimer here. The disciples just think they're without Jesus. They think they're without Him because they can't see Him. We oftentimes think we're without God just because we can't see God. But we have to remember, even though it is a dark and overcast day and we cannot see the sun, the sun is still shining. You just can't see it. So the first act is looking at Jonah the second and third acts. We'll be looking at the disciples with Jesus and without Jesus. And the fourth act we will look at in the book of Acts 27, the Apostle Paul. All four of these instances have several things in common. Uh. The primary, most basic thing that they have in common is that in all of these examples, God will show his disciples an attribute of himself or a characteristic of himself that the world cannot see. That should be most important to us, is what we can see and what we can know about God. The next thing that you will notice about this is that they are all fellows in a ship. That's where Jonah starts out. That's where the disciples are in Acts 27. Paul is in a ship on the way to Rome. They are all fellows in a ship. There is fellowship in these texts. I mean, that may seem quite trivial to you, but that's exactly what fellowship is. It's fellows... In a ship, headed the same direction, on the same course, in the same situation, but maybe not the same responsibility in the situation. Everybody in the ship does not have the same job. They all have different jobs, from the man swabbing the deck to the man in the crow's nest. They're all different. But they're all important. Anytime you look at someone and say, Have you prayed about this? I think maybe sometimes they think we are making light of their situation as if to say, Well, just a simple prayer will make it go away. No. In all four of these situations, these men are in jeopardy, they are in a desperate situation. Read the text. Uh, Three times the Bible tells us in Jonah's case, one time in the disciples' case, and one time in uh, Paul's case, a great tempest arises. And as a matter of fact, the Bible reminds us in Luke 8, in the disciples' case, they were in jeopardy. So we're not making light of the trouble that people have when we say, have you prayed about this? We are showing the importance of prayer when you are in trouble. In all of these situations, they also have something in common, that God is involved. Now, I thought about saying God was involved, but that puts God in the past tense. Because all these stories are in the past tense. They are relevant to today. So it's not that God was involved then. God is involved now. One thing you're going to notice about this. God was involved in Jonah's life. And Jonah didn't appreciate it. Did he? God was involved in the disciples' life. And they didn't understand it. God was involved in Paul's life. And Paul didn't mind. Paul was glad. In Acts 27, that God was involved. Last thing you'd like to look at here is that in all these situations, others are affected by God being involved with the disciples. Others were affected by God being involved with Jonah, 12 disciples and Peter. And so oftentimes, if we forget that sometimes God works through us for others, and oftentimes we forget that God works through others for us. In this particular instance, um, others are affected in the fact that in Jonah chapter 1 in verse 5, that as this great tempest arose, it says in Jonah chapter 1 in verse 5, the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it. So this great storm arises and they're not at this time, privy to why this storm is here, their travels are hindered. When the disciples get into a boat with the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark four, uh, the scriptures tells us that on that sea there were also other little ships with him. And so, it's important to note that these ships are on the same sea with the disciples. They incur the same storm the disciples occur. And it's only the disciples that know the One who truly can calm the storm. In the book of Acts 27, God reminds the Apostle Paul in Acts 27 and uh, the 24th verse that God has told them that all the men on this ship will be delivered unto Him Through this trial. That not only Paul will you be delivered. But for your sake. Everybody else in the ship will be delivered. Others are affected. By our life. We are affected. By the life. Of other people. And if there is no other point. You can get out of that. The Bible tells us that. God hath forgiven us. For Christ's sake. If there's no other effect that you think that people or you have on other people, the very fact that you have forgiveness is because of somebody else. It's because God hath forgiven us for Christ's sake. <clears throat> so let's look. let's look at the book of Jonah here for a few moments. Y'all have read the story of Jonah, right? And you've probably heard this preached on time and time and time again. Jonah has what some psychologists may call a disagreeable personality. Now, that doesn't mean it's the only personality that he has, but that is his dominant trait. He is a very disagreeable person. Uh, To define this from psychological terms, disagreeableness is a relative stable aspect of personality that involves the tendency to behave in quarrelsome, cold, callous, and selfish ways. That pretty much sums up Jonah, does it not? Disagreeable people tend to be hostile and abusive to others. They tend to deceive and manipulate others for their own gain, and ignore others' concerns or welfare. Jonah's got a disagreeable personality, does he not? Uh, Psychologist Jordan Peterson said in speaking of disagreeable people, he said, a disagreeable person will not do a single thing you tell him to do. He will always find a reason to do something else. In Jonah chapter 4, this is uh, very much laid out for us. Because you know what happens in chapter 3, that God uh, has mercy on the Ninevites and spares their city. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Throughout this entire book, Jonah is never happy. With God. What kind of position do you have to be in in life that you are never happy with anything God does? The only time Jonah is moderately happy is when God causes a, a gourd to grow up and shade him from the heat of the sun. But God also sends a worm to cut the gourd down, and Jonah's back miserable again. Because Jonah's like so many people, he judges his happiness and joy in God based on his situations. says it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil." Boy, you talk about a stubborn old codger. Disagreeableness may have its place when dealing with human beings. You know, as a parent, you kind of have to, at many times, be quite disagreeable. Uh, Y'all remember the the TV show, uh, The Andy Griffith Show? There was an episode where uh, Andy Taylor, the sheriff, is dealing with a vagrant hobo, coming through the town, played by Buddy Epson. And Buddy Epson's a trickster, uh, sleight of hand type person, and he's kind of taken Opie, Andy's son, under his wing, and he's impressed him with some uh, false tricks that he has. Late in the, late in the TV show, uh, Buddy Epson comes before Andy and says, look, he's a child, he's got his, he's got his own mind, just let the child choose for himself. And he says, you can't do that. He's a child. And he'll grab at the first flashy, shiny thing that comes along. Not realizing that that worm has got a hook in it. Where are we at today in America in 2023? Where are we? We have liberal parents on the news... Declaring how proud they are that their children have taught them about diversity. Children have no idea what they want to do or be when they're four years old, when they're six years old. Some of them at 25 have no idea who they are and what they want to be. It is our responsibility as parents when we walk through Walmart to be fairly disagreeable, right? Especially if you go down the toy aisle. Because what's the number one question that is asked the entire time you're at the store by any child? Does anybody know what that question is? Can I have this? No, you can't have that. Well, can can I have this? No, you can't have this either. Well, can I have this? No, you can't have that either. And special thanks to all grocery stores around this nation that decided to put the candy aisle right at the register. That's not by accident. It's not by accident that when I was growing up on Saturday morning, cartoons featured ads geared toward the cartoon you were watching. They turned an entire nation of children into greedy beggars. I'm a product of that. I know what I'm talking about. As parents, we have to be at times fairly disagreeable to teach children self-control and self-discipline and self-restraint. But when it comes to disagreeableness... With the Almighty, this variable has no place between us and God. It is simply, Lord, what would Thou have me to do? Now, we may not understand it, as the disciples don't, but it doesn't mean that God is wrong. It just simply means we don't understand yet. Now, we've asked you before in times past that when you read Bible stories, who do you think you are in that situation? Which person do you identify with the most? And we all want to identify with the hero with the story, right? Well, who are you in this situation? Maybe you're just the ship, Right? <laughs> I'm just along for the ride for wherever these people take me. Boy, I tell you what, your life's going to be a wreck if you're just along for the ride in life, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're the shipmaster because it's not His fault that this storm has arisen. In this case, God sends the storm to correct Jonah. Because God cares about Jonah. Paul reminds us in Hebrews 12 that every son he receiveth, he chasteneth. He scourgeth. He disciplines his children. Why? Because he cares. He cares about the direction that Jonah is going in. He cares about the the lessons that Jonah needs to learn. Did, Did you notice... Did you notice in reading uh, in Jonah chapter 1 and and in chapter uh, 2, I believe it is, there's four times that the Bible tells us Jonah takes a downward direction. Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them. Natasha from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Verse 5 says, uh, The mariners were afraid. Notice the very last phrase of that. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship and he lay and was fast asleep. And in his uh, repentant prayer in chapter 2, he made this statement in verse 6. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Remember that man that went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Remember in uh, Luke 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, how it says that Lazarus died and was carried to the bosom of Abraham, but that the rich man died and was buried and in hell lifted up his eyes. Notice these downward journeys that people go through throughout the Scriptures. And you'll have to admit that any time you are not walking in harmony with God, your journey is always downward. You always end up worse off than when you started. When Abimelech took his family in uh, the book of Ruth out uh, out of Bethlehem because there was a famine in the land and he went down to the land of Moab... He went down there, he died, Malon died, Chilion died, his two sons died, and so Naomi his wife is left. And when she returns back to the land, she says, I went out full, but God brought me back empty. Anytime a child of God walks away from the leadership of the Lord, the journey is always downward. And it's always worse when you get done than when you started. And these men are affected by Jonah. It's not the shipmaster's fault though that this storm arises. But he and his crew are fighting to overcome the adversity. And they're also fighting to overcome the adversity... When the pro- person who's the problem is revealed, Jonah tells him, This is my fault. And what you need to do is throw me overboard, and your problems will go away. And the shipmaster says, Excuse me? You see, uh, this first act is that Jonah is down in the bottom of the ship asleep, and he's saying, Hey, just act like I'm not here. Just let me get a point farthest away in the bottom of the ship. I'm going to go to sleep and you just act like I'm not here. Well, in the midst of this storm, as he is asleep, the shipmaster comes down and awakes him. I dare say at times in our life, maybe we have, Sort of been at the mercy of those around us. Sometimes you're you're just a peon in the workforce. And you just kind of go where work dictates you have to go. Maybe you are kind of driven where these people take you. Maybe you are, in some cases, the shipmaster. A problem has arisen in the family or at work. Or maybe at church, a problem has arisen and it's not really your fault. I got you on that one. Or maybe... Your Jonah, the one who's most at fault, is the one who's most asleep. The one who has the ability to call upon the true and living God and recognize the true solution to their problem is asleep. He's indifferent to the struggles of the rest of the people on the boat. Jonah says, just act like I'm not here. But that's not what the shipmaster says. No, the shipmaster says, uh, where are we at here? In Jonah chapter 1, verse 6, he says, So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Hey, wake up and act like you care. Sometimes you want to just shake people, don't you? Just shake some sense into somebody. My mama used to say, I'm going to snatch a knot in your head. Didn't make any sense then, but I kind of somewhat have a understanding of what it means. She's a bit, essentially just saying, wake up! Act like you care about the problem because God cares. And it's interesting that that concept then uh, takes us to The disciples. We know that Jonah is in a great storm because Jonah is going the wrong way. We know that Jonah is suffering in his life because he's done the wrong thing. That's what the story dictates, right? More often than not, you will be identifying with Jonah, right? Right? Then we come, though, to the disciples. You have two stories of the disciples and you have the story of the Apostle Paul. And and these last three examples teach us one major error of a lot of our Christian thinking. And that that error is that if you would just live holy enough and righteously enough and do good enough, you'll never have any troubles in life. Many believe that if you just have enough faith, you'll never have any troubles in life. Many believe that if you just walk close enough with Jesus, you'll never have a trouble in your life. Well, that's not what happens in these next stories, is it? Because in Jonah's story, God sent the storm to correct his errant disciple. But when it comes to the disciples, God sends the disciples into the storm. I think it's worth noting that when you go back and you read, uh, let me let me give you these chapters uh, before we go any further. The uh, first instance is with disciples with Jesus. And you can find this in uh, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, beginning with the 23rd verse. You can find this in the Gospel of Mark, beginning with the 35th verse. You can find this story in Luke chapter 8, beginning with the 22nd verse. All tell basically the same thing. There's a little more to this, a little less to another. Uh, it's not my intent to compare all of these, because we could really get bogged down in detail of these things. That's that's not what I want to do this morning. But this is the uh, telling of the story of the disciples with Jesus. The telling of the story of the disciples without Jesus is found in Mark 14, beginning with the 22nd verse. Excuse me, excuse me. Matthew 14, 22nd verse. Mark chapter 6, in the 45th verse. And John chapter 6, beginning with the 16th verse. So, that's where all of that is. You can go back and rewatch the tape, or you can ask me in the the service, I can give you all that back. I, I tell you that, though, to say this. It's interesting to go and read these accounts. The first account is that Jesus Himself goes to get into a ship and His disciples follow Him. They go out, and other ships go with them. The second account is that Jesus constrains His disciples to go into the ship, and he goes into a mountain alone to pray. All of these situations, both of these situations, follow a great time of teaching and miracles. In the first instance, when Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, he's done a lot of teaching, he's done a lot of healing, and they're seeing some great things. In the second instance... Jesus has fed 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. Disciples may have an idea that this Christian thing is fun. This is easy. Wow, people are being healed. This is great. Ah, we're all hungry and Jesus is just pulling fish and bread out of his pockets and it's just, we had nothing and now we we got 12 baskets of trash left over. My, this is wonderful. This Christian thing is easy. You ever thought about that? Of course, we've all speaking of this feeding of the five thousand or four thousand, whichever situation you want to look at, you know, uh, we've all seen uh, David Copperfield, we've all seen David Blaine, we've all seen Chris Angel, we've all seen Penn and Teller, we've all seen these great magicians of sleight of hand that make things seem to appear out of nowhere. We know that's all, that's all parlor tricks. We know that they have something up their sleeve. We know that they have something hidden in their jacket. We know that they have something, you know, hidden in their back pocket. We know that there are more people involved in the trick or the pulling off of that trick than the person on screen. We know that real, the real magicians are the people in the back. Y'all know this, right? I'm I'm sorry. Am I ruining something for people here? Y'all act like y'all ain't never heard this before. You know, magicians use twins a lot to pull off their tricks. Magicians use trap doors a lot, you know. It's like a stage they're going through, but anyways, they'll get over it. Uh, we know that these things are tricks. We know that they're smoke and mirrors. We know that they are distracting you because politicians use the same thing. They distract you over here while they slip something in the back door over here uh, before you realize it. So all of that can probably be explained away. Until Jesus says, watch this. He puts His disciples out on the boat by themselves. And in two separate cases, He speaks to the wind, He speaks to the waves, and the disciples are baffled. We could halfway explain this sleight of hand to start with we got no explanation for this. The only explanation we can possibly come up with is behold what manner of man is this. That we have not properly understood who this person is. But act two. Jonah said act like I'm not here. And a lot of times I think Christians want to just act like that sometimes. Just act like you're not here. But you remember what the shipmaster said to Jonah? He said, Awake. Wake up and act like you care. What did the disciples say to Christ when he was on the boat with them? Y'all remember? Remember in Mark chapter 4? Mark chapter 4, verse 38, they awoke him. Because he was asleep in the hinder part of the ship. And they say unto him. Wake up. And act like you care. Now I've said that to a few people in my life. And a few people have said it to me. Our coach would say that to us. When you're on the ball team. You miss the ball. You miss the pass. You miss the basket. And he'd look at us and say. Wake up. Did you forget you had a game today? Pay attention. You ain't the only one out here. But can you imagine the gall of a sinner saying to the Savior, wake up and act like you care. Whew. It's a wonder He didn't just drown the whole boat at that point. But you know what? That's not what He said to them. He said, let's get into this boat and let's sail to the other side. He did not say, let's get in this boat, go out in the middle of the sea, and drown and die. So in the second instance, when Jesus comes to them, walking upon the sea, as soon as he got into the ship, the wind ceased. And it says in Mark chapter six, the fifty first verse, that he went up unto them into the ship and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered for they considered not the miracle of the loaves for their hearts hardened. You know, they say to the Lord, they awaken him and they say, act like you care. But what does this text say? It says they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Act number three. Hey, disciples, act like you remember. Act like you remember what Jesus just did for you. Boy, aren't we, aren't we kind of guilty of that? Aren't we all kind of guilty at some point in our life of forgetting sometimes what God has done for us? Something happens wonderfully on Sunday. This, this is going to be a wonderful message. Best message I ever heard. And then I wake up on Monday morning and I completely forget everything the preacher said. I completely forget everything I read in the Bible that ever at any point. Gave me hope. Because something happens on Monday. Something happens on Tuesday. Oh dear. Something happened on the way to church. I mean mean, that's right. If you're ever going to have trouble in the week. When's it going to happen? Sunday morning right? Have y'all ever had any trouble during the week. Like you have on Sunday morning. If you ain't never had trouble on Sunday morning, you ain't never tried to get a three year old dressed for church. My kids were little, we tell them, get dressed. Put your shoes on. Now what I meant was, get dressed, put your shoes on. What they heard me say was, get naked and stand in front of the TV. Where are your shoes? You just had them on. Oh, no. But I put a... You just had them on. Where are they? Oh, no. Fine. You know, by the time you got about three children or four, you know, as Tim Hawkins said, if they leave the house with one shoe on and a flipper, who cares? That's the best I can do. And sometimes sometimes it is. Sometimes it's the best you can do to just get them there. Hopefully somewhere down the line, they'll grow up a little bit and kind of take responsibility for themselves. But we all know that if I'm ever going to have trouble, it's going to be on Sunday morning. The very time when we need to be in the right frame of mind to appear before God and be with His people we're going to have the biggest fight our family has ever seen on the way to church to disrupt us to disrupt our spirit to quench any joy we had if we're not careful to recognize what peter said that your adversary as a roaring lion goeth about seeking whom he may devour mm-hmm. and it's it's amazing It's amazing how little it takes to discourage some people. I think preachers have said this in the past, and I think it's been well said, that if the devil had to lose his whole toolbox and there was only one tool that he could use, he would probably use the tool of discouragement more than anything else. The tool of discouragement... has worked harder against you probably than anything else the devil can use. Because the disciples are out here in the boat. They're with Jesus. And a great storm arises. Or the disciples are out here in the boat and they're without Jesus. They say, you know, if Jesus was just here, we'd be all right." No, you forgot what happened earlier, right? Martha said to Jesus in John 11 when Lazarus died, said, had you been here... Our brother had not died. You know, if you just bothered to care and show up, when we asked you to show up, this wouldn't have happened. Well, this is getting ugly, isn't it? But I'm I'm guilty of the same thing. You know, if the Lord had just answered my prayer when I prayed it the first time, I wouldn't be in this position. And yet, Jesus said that this death of Lazarus, or this sickness, is not ultimately unto death, but unto the glory of God. What would I have known about God had He answered my, pra- answered my prayer and had not gone through the trouble? What would I know about Him? What would I know about God had I not had any troubles compared to what I know about God now in my troubles? He hasn't always promised to deliver us from our troubles, but he has promised to be with us in our troubles. He did deliver the Hebrew children from the fiery furnace, but he was also with them while they were in it. And so often people forget about that. It's probably hotter than you want it to be, and it's lasted longer than you want it to be, but if Christ is there, Christ is there. And there's still hope. Jonah said, act like I'm just not even here. The disciples said to the Lord, hey, act like you care. We might could say to the disciples, hey, won't you act like you can remember something? Because I think all of these, you know, really, all of that really also kind of applies to Jonah, doesn't it? Hey, Jonah, act like you remember something here. Act like you remember God. Act like you remember God cares about more than just you. So God sends a storm to adjust Jonah's viewpoint in life. God sends the disciples to correct them and also teach them things that you can't learn Standing on the seashore. The miracles and the healings are all classwork. What you learn in that class is to be carried out into the world and used on a regular basis. See, this is the fun part of Christianity right here, right? Coming to church. Singing is wonderful. The prayers are delightful. And the preacher is okay today. Not a whole lot going on. Not a lot of pressure. We just sit and we listen and we learn. We serve God not just by showing up, but we serve God by taking what we've learned outside these four walls. So in Acts 27 though, We come to the fourth and final act. Jonah said, act like I'm not here. Disciples said to the Lord, wake up and act like you care. Disciples also needed to act like they remembered. But in Acts 27, God sent the storm to Jonah. God sent the disciples to the storm. But in Acts 27, God sends hope. Paul is in a mess of trouble in Acts 27. It's not really his fault. Paul's a preacher of the gospel. He will soon be taken to Rome. But he's got to go through this to get there. Paul's an individual that kind of understands who he was and who he is now. And in some cases, he's the kind of individual that understands the difference between why me and why not me. Right? I mean, I've had troubles in my life and I want to ask the Lord, why me? <clears throat> remember one time Elder Sonny Piles was in conversation with a man that had been just diagnosed with a terminal disease and Sonny said to him well how are you doing how are you feeling he said I thought about asking myself why me he says but I know who I am why not me what makes me so special that I should never have trouble in my life. What makes me so special that I should never have a problem in my life? You know, we sing the song God has not promised. Clouds always blue, flower strong pathways the whole way through. I think that's the way it goes. It's uh, God's promise. We sing that. The question is, do I really believe it? And Paul warns them in Acts, Acts 27. He he warns them that if you go on this journey, it's uh, uh, verse ten of Acts twenty-seven. That he says, "I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives." But uh, Paul's got something against him here. <clears throat> Paul's the novice; he's not the expert sailor man. Boy, aren't we there right now? How do you know how many genders there are? are you a doctor? No, but I know what a cat is and I'm not a veterinarian. I know what a tree is and I'm not an arborist. I do know what a car is, but I've never put one together and couldn't fix one to save my life. So if I know what those things are and I don't have to be an expert, I can surely figure out what the first one is. Paul's got everything against him in this case. Nobody believes him. You just some crackpot preacher out here. Just get on board ship and act like you know how to do what you're told. Something happens. Great storm Euroclodon comes up. And they go through about two and a half weeks of a tumultuous experience. There's fasting and there's weeping. They're throwing things overboard to lighten the load of the ship. And standing right in the middle of them is one disciple that in the midst of these problems has hope. He's the only one that has hope. You may be the only one in your family that has hope. You may be the only one at work that has hope. You may be the only one at church that has hope. You may be the only one God's listening to. Then don't be like Elijah who says, Lord, I'm the only one left. You might as well just kill me. Because the Lord says to him, Son, i got 7,000 men that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one. Paul says in verse uh, 18 of Acts 27, he says, And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lighten the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And we neither sun nor stars in many days appeared. And no small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. This is a dreadful situation, right? We're not making light of the situation. We're not making light of the situation that in Luke 8 it said the disciples were in great jeopardy. Never would we make light of this. It says in verse 21, but after a long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. And not of loose from Crete, and of gain this harm and loss, isn't, isn't that the wonderful beginning of a sermon? na nanny boo, boo! I told you so. Isn't that something? Sometimes that's the way it is. We need to be reminded that we were told so. I hear I hear nowadays there's a I hear nowadays more and more stories of a child uh, in their older years coming out to their parents, declaring themselves to be gay. And when the parents disown the child, the world around them is confused and perplexed. Why well, you're the parent? You're supposed to care about your child no matter what. Let me ask you a question. where did we ever get to the point where it was the child who was supposed to lead the parent? Hey, here's a question for you. If you love your parents, why don't you do what your parents tell you to? Hmm? Uh, in, the, in the 80s, there was a uh, pop singer named Madonna. And she came up with a song called Papa Don't Preach. never think you'd hear her quoted from the pulpit, did you? But the concept of the song was she's this little teenage girl and she has come up pregnant and she really needs to tell this to her father but what she doesn't need is him giving her a lecture. He needs to just shut up and listen to her trouble. Seems to me if she had to shut up and listen to what he had to say to start with she wouldn't be in this mess. How about that? I mean, we look. We told people, we told people years ago, that when you raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour, the price of everything else is going to go up. No, that's not, that's not. Oh, really? How much is gallon of milk now? How much is a hamburger now? You know, when I was coming along, you could go to McDonald's and for twenty dollars feed ten people. Nowadays, you can go to McDonald's and for $20 be completely disappointed. Why? People didn't listen to what they were told. They didn't do what they were told. They were smarter than the ancients. They were smarter than their teachers. They were smarter than God. Smarter than His Word. Paul stands up and he says, told you so. We are in this mess in America. We are in this mess in our families. We are in this mess in our churches. Because we didn't do what God told us to do. But even in the midst of all of that, Paul says in verse 22, but now I exhort you, be of good cheer. What? Be of good cheer. Uh, we ain't seen the moon in the number of days. We ain't seen the stars in the number of days. We ain't seen the sun in the number of days. We ain't eat in 14 days. And you're telling me be of good cheer? Absolutely. Be of good cheer. By what authority, you moron? What, are you paying attention? Don't you see where we're at? Don't you see the problem we're in? There's more water in the boat than outside the boat. I don't have anything in my stomach and my brain is empty. What are you talking about? Just... Relax. I picture Paul tied to a mast. And he's just kind of tied there going, Hey, y'all. Be of good cheer. Hey, y'all. smiling all this. He says in verse 23, For there stood by me this night. Now that is a great text. Boy, isn't that a wonderful text. In the midst of your troubles and in the midst of your darkness and in the midst of your trials, could it not be one of the greatest things for you to be able to see there stood by me this night the angel of God whose I am and whom I serve saying fear not Paul thou must be brought before Caesar and God hath given thee all them that sail with thee oh what a great message of hope I can't declare to you the end from the beginning. And I cannot tell you how something necessarily is going to turn out. That, you know, that's, that's, a problem. that's a problem in our home. Is that a problem in y'all's home? The husband thinks of something and the wife wants to know, well, how's this going to end up? Well, I'm not sure, but I think... Well, you, you mean you can't tell me how this is all going to go? Anyone else? Anyone else? No, nobody else near has that problem? Bunch of liars. No, not really. But you, we've all met. Maybe, maybe your wife has an idea, and the husband's like, "That's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. How in the world are we supposed to?" Do? I don't know, but I just feel like if we just do this, we do that, it all. I can't promise you how God is going to work out all your problems. I sure as the world cannot promise you when He's going to work them out. Can promise you this: that if God cares about you. They will be worked out. No doubt about that. And so it's my responsibility through this situation, your responsibility through any situation. At this point, I would like to identify with Paul. I really would. I'm probably more like the man sitting in the corner, petrified and terrified. But I really would at this point. It's almost a necessity that when we have darkness and we have trials... That we identify with Paul and we act like we believe. So many times we act like we ain't never even heard of God. So many times we act like his promises are for somebody else, but not for me. Oh, friends, God cares. Act like you believe. Trust these promises. And trust God, because God cares for you.